Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, The Mirror's Darren Lewis and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook. As City and Liverpool come from behind, but the blue moon rose just high enough. And Liverpool walk alone. And City back into the lead, not only in this game, but in the title race as well. They are setting a pace that no one else can match. Burnley are down, Leeds live to fight another season, West Ham missed the chance to fit Manchester United to Europa League football, and Tottenham get top four. Son wins the golden boot, and how do we give the boot to the idiots that just won't stop coming on the pitch? They are blighting our game, just stay off. If you went on the pitch, you're in danger of taking football back to the dark ages. We'll get into it. It's the game day podcast from TalkSport after a season finale to cherish. This is game day. Yes, and a big hello to Alex Crook. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. good. Still good. buzzing. I love, lovely to see you. Lovely to see you this morning. And hello to Darren Lewis. Darren, we hope you're okay. We know it's been a tough weekend for you. Try not to worry. They'll make it someday. Just, you know, take what you need. And then be on your way. But stop crying your heart out. That's not fair. That's not. That's not. That's not fair. Might be this one. Just forget about it. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I'm just trying to work out now how I'm going to watch the Champions League final. Okay. Uh, and what I'm going to do to celebrate when Liverpool win that. Exactly. Because you got no more tears left to cry, have you? <laughs> This is brutal. Brutal. Normally you're smashing. Today you're being nicey. <laughs> Just enjoy it. Look, you know, listen, enjoy the ride. Okay, that's not a bad tune to, to kick off on. It is, and that will get you going because Liverpool still have the Champions title and trophy are staying with Manchester and Manchester City where is Manchester City 3 Aston Villa 2 a spell of five minutes in the second half saw Manchester City come from two goals down the atmosphere in this stadium is just incredible now there's thousands and thousands of Manchester City supporters all over the Etihad pitch at the moment Yes, Manchester City are the champions. They have beaten Aston Villa by three goals to two, coming back from 2-0 down. Uh, meanwhile, Liverpool, uh, they considered a very early goal against Wolverhampton Wanderers and then came back and won themselves. It was a day of drama befitting a wonderful season. And yeah, look, we, we had a little bit of a laugh with Darren Lewis at the front of the podcast because he's a massive Liverpool fan and it is a little bit of heartache for Liverpool. But actually, I think they should be proud of what they've achieved over the course of the season. The fact that they've got to within a point of this great Manchester City side should be something to be celebrated, even though that's very difficult to take when that whistle blows. And there were chances, there were moments when Liverpool could have gone top of the table at parts during the course of the afternoon, Darren. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The first thing to say is that City are worthy champions. Four titles in five seasons. They've scored three or more goals on countless occasions, fives and fours. They've played exhilarating football. They've imposed themselves on the opposition home and away. Yesterday, because obviously we're recording this on Monday morning, but the game 
that clinched the title for them was the first time they'd come back from two goals down to win a league game in 17 years. What a time to do it. I mean, they are genuinely high-class, top-class champions. They're legends. And so wherever disappointment anyone of a Liverpool persuasion might feel, sometimes you have to just take your hat off and say, we lost to the better team. And I think the better team on the day, they will be remembered for years and years and years. They are truly outstanding. Yes, and Pep said afterwards, we feel like legends and so they should as well because the Premier League title has been decided on the final day on nine occasions since its inception. And and each of the last four times, um, it's been Manchester City that have won that title. 2012, 2014, 2019 and 2020. 22 and it was a dramatic day actually because they were 2-0 down with 75 <coughs> minutes gone so with 15 minutes to go Liverpool had a great chance to win the title it all looked as if it was going their way but ultimately City have got this remarkable ability to pull <laughs> something out of the fire haven't they they are absolutely outstanding and I was especially pleased for Ilkay Gundogan because he's one of those players that actually goes under the radar last year obviously he was their top scorer and he was the main source of goals and this season, we haven't seen as much of him. But to score two goals in that fashion, I think it was five minutes and 36 seconds they turned that game around in. That is absolutely unbelievable. And it shows the character in that team. I suppose the bad news for everybody else, Crook, is, is that Liverpool got this close to Manchester City when they didn't have a striker. And now they've got Erlen Haaland walking through the door. Yeah, and they managed to score 99 goals uh, without a recognised number nine. So I, I think that is a big problem, uh, not just for Liverpool, but for uh, the rest of the title contenders next season. As you said, brilliant character, brilliant spirit. It wasn't quite as dramatic as 2012. Thanks for uh, bringing that one up again. But it is the hope that kills you. And uh, not for the first time, Steven Gerrard uh, gets in a position where he can deliver Liverpool the title and then he lets it slip uh, uh, quite dramatically. Um, there, so there was some irony there. Shame on you, Crook. Shame on you. Shame on you. <laughs> it's the narrative. Boom, it's the narrative. But, but it's not just yesterday. Your narrative. You, you go back a week ago, they were 2-0 down uh, against the West Ham side who were playing really well that afternoon, found a way uh, to get a point from that game and keep the destiny of the championship in their own hands. Unlucky not to win that game uh, with the penalty that Mahrez missed. They have been the outstanding team. There have been some outstanding individuals, but it's that will to win, that mentality over a 38-game season that has set Manchester City apart once again. And as you say, with the prospect of Erling Haaland uh, pitching up next season, that is terrifying. Um, at times, it felt from the inside of the dressing room, especially in the manager's office, that they were being stalked by Liverpool. I actually feel as if Pep Guardiola really felt the pressure this year from Liverpool, breathing down their necks all the way. And it, it took a long time for him to admit that, but he, he eventually did yesterday. Um, and, and the title race has been absolutely absorbing, hasn't it? Because there were times when we thought it was all over. There were times when we thought it was back on again. And it was right to the very end. If you think that to the last 15 minutes of the season, we still didn't know who was going to win the title. And at the same time, we didn't know who was going to be relegated. We were pretty sure who was going to be in the top four, but we still didn't know whether West Ham or Manchester United were going to be in the top six. It was exhilarating. The afternoon was absolutely exhilarating. I was sitting at the Brentford Community Stadium with Leeds United. They had a magic moment as well. And, and you know, buzzing around the grounds and hearing all the updates that were coming in from all of the other places. It was just a thrilling final day, wasn't it? And that's why we love the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, it was the first time that every position could have changed mathematically in Premier League history. First wow. time in Premier wow. League history that it was possible that that could have happened. And I've got to say, at the start of the day, I did believe that it would be routine wins for both City and Liverpool, given their experience of dealing with high-pressure situations. Um, but, you know, something like you just said a second ago did ring true to me, which is that it isn't that the pressure got to Guardiola. It's that, in a way, Klopp and what he's done to Liverpool team is getting more out of an already great manager. And I know you like your horses, Alex, and the only thing I can liken it to is if a horse goes out in front in the final furlong, but he goes too soon and he needs to be challenged, he needs another horse to come up to his quarters, his backside, before he goes again. 
you know, because if he doesn't get that challenge, then he idles out in front and it gets too easy and then somebody maybe can come and catch him. And I wonder if that's what it is for Guardiola. I think he'll relish next season. I don't, I heard you saying a second ago, it'd be terrifying with Haaland coming. I think the other teams will relish the arrival of even more firepower. I think there'll be a big arms race next season. I think Chelsea will be back. I think Spurs will be involved. I do think it. I'll stand by it if you want to clip it up. I think Man United, this guy Ten Hag looks as though he's not messing around. I think it'll be... Don't give me hope, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I, I just think overall what you were saying a second ago, I was at Chelsea and the news came through. I got... Uh, you maybe as we go on, you can explain why this was the case, Sam. But the Chelsea fans, when it was two two, Gundogan scored again. Yeah, they were chanting, cheering, and chanting for City. Come on, City! Come on, City! I have never seen anything in twenty years like it. It was remarkable at Stamford Bridge. They're cheering for City. Maybe you can tell us why. I, I once saw um, I, w- I once saw them cheer when Sheffield United scored a goal because they were going to escape from relegation and they scored a goal against Chelsea. And, and, and there was a sort of it actually ended up going down. I think there was a massive cheer when I think Mark Steen was playing for Sheffield United. I'm not entirely sure of the whole situation, but this is about 25 years ago. It's a long time ago. Um, I, I saw that there. I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's that Pep Guardiola was totally and utterly wrong. That's what it is. Um, because he said, everybody wants Liverpool to win the title and I can list you at least four clubs that didn't want that to happen. And they are Manchester United, uh, Everton and Chelsea. And the reason that Chelsea didn't want Liverpool to win the title is because Chelsea and Liverpool have a very intense rivalry which goes back to the ghost goal, the serial meetings in the Champions League between Benitez and uh, Mourinho and the, just the, the sheer amount of times that they've played each other in massive massive games also Chelsea have lost two cup finals to Liverpool already this season so that is the reason behind it there is an intense rivalry and if you've ever been to those games you'll know just how much they they don't like one another and actually you know the the rivalry between Chelsea and Liverpool Manchester United and Liverpool has quite sort of an edge about it even though geographically both of those clubs are quite far away you know an hour to to, to Manchester and maybe three or four to Chelsea but the rivalry between Manchester City and Liverpool is not like that. Not amongst the staff and the players anyway. And yesterday, I was actually quite surprised by the fact that Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola both stood in front of a camera, stared right down the barrel and paid tribute to the other. And yeah. I just wonder whether that, I'm not sure I'm entirely comfortable with it. Maybe I should grow up, but actually I just think they should probably, you know not be as friendly or magnanimous because they definitely were, especially Jurgen Klopp yesterday. It was all a bit gracious from Liverpool, you know, pictures of of Jurgen Klopp and and the players saluting the fans at the end. He he didn't look like a manager who just lost the Premier League title. So you do wonder actually how much belief he had going into the final day of the season. Maybe he didn't share the same uh, belief that Darren Lewis had this time But you don't blame him. You don't blame him for that because, you know, anything, any brains will tell you, any brain cell will tell you Manchester City are going to win this game. Okay, with 15 minutes to go, you might not have been as confident as you were when when the whistle went off. But ultimately, they did win. And there's a reason for that because they are Manchester City. You know, they've scored 99 goals. They are a team that's won more games than Liverpool. They've accumulated, obviously, more points than Liverpool. They've scored more goals than Liverpool and they've conceded the same number of games as Liverpool. So, uh, goals as Liverpool. So, they probably deserve it over the course of the season. But I just wonder whether or not also Liverpool, in the back of their mind, are thinking our big one is next Saturday evening when we go to Paris to take on Real Madrid, Darren? Yeah, I I think they are. I think as far as they're concerned, it could still be an incredible end to their season. If they were to beat Real Madrid, that would explain why Van Dijk and Salah didn't start yesterday. Salah coming on and scoring, great way to go into the final as well. And I think the bigger picture, I know you said that they came within a point of winning the title. They came within a point of landing the quadruple. Yeah. Uh, and, um, well, hold on. They haven't won the Champions imagine? League final yet. They haven't won the Champions can, League final yet. Can Darren. you imagine? There's still a week to go, Darren. Happened, Darren. Honestly, there's still a week to go. Don't get excited. He well, already, he's already well. given them the Champions League trophy. <laughs> well, Come I'm on, saying, Real. <laughs> all I'm saying is that I think, as far as Liverpool are concerned, there is a supreme confidence going into the game. Listen, 
all the joking aside, I wouldn't write off Ancelotti. He's a guy who knows how to win it. He could become the only man ever to win four Champions Leagues. Keep your powder dry on that. We've got a whole Champions League podcast to do on Thursday. So just, right, you well, know, let, just chill. Let me know, let me know. Just chill. Well, I, I know. Just overall, I, I think what Jurgen Klopp has done this season, I cast my mind back to last season when you guys were killing me when I was saying to you, Never. when Van Dijk comes back, you'll see the difference in this Liverpool team. And I said it time and again, you take him out and that defence is rudderless. You put him in there and they've got leadership, they've got organisation, they've got a platform that gives them a confidence to express themselves. And that's exactly what you've seen this season. Hands so up. It, it, it's no... Well, hands you, up. You were right. I'll let you put your you hands right. up to it. You were right. right. You were right. Absolutely right. Sorry, I can't hear you. Sorry, say again. You were right. You were absolutely well, right. No, you were I'm right. I'm having trouble with this here, so let well, me try this one. Well, 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 yeah, <laughs> That's because you're yeah, about 900 years old. <laughs> yes, yes and no. They didn't win the title without Van Dyke last season. They didn't win the title with Van Dyke this season. So let's not give him too much credit. But um, listen, I never They only got about 30 points extra. <laughs> I never thought I would say this as a Manchester United supporter, but Manchester City have basically saved football. Can you imagine if Liverpool won all four trophies? That would have been absolutely unpalatable. And I'll tell you what, I was watching the game in, in the green room at TalkSport yesterday. Everybody was leaping up and down when Manchester City got their winning goal. So despite what Pep Guardiola says, I think there are more than four clubs that didn't want Liverpool to win the league. I think everybody, apart from Liverpool fans, wanted Manchester City to take that title. I've got to just say, look, that all, all of our jousting and joking aside, the reason why we do this job, and it's an important point to make, is because we love the sport, the spectacle, the competition, yeah. and, and, and we love supreme ability and both teams have got it so when we, when we put our independent journalist heads on we whoever wins it the fact that it keeps the premier league as being the supreme test over the season in europe is kind of just been underlined by the title race over the last four seasons because three of the last four being contested by city and Liverpool. And I think we've had another example of it today. The bar has been raised even higher. Yeah, and I tell you what, I, mean, I, I do feel sorry for Liverpool because that's twice now on the final day of the season. They've lost out by one point and they've got a points total that in any other season, apart from when Manchester City were there, they would have won the league. Um, but Manchester City did something impressive, I think, over the course of the campaign. They solved problems. They solved problems yesterday in the game against uh, Aston Villa. They solved problems at the beginning of the season when Harry Kane didn't join them. They thought they were getting a striker and they didn't. They changed the way they played. And all of us were sitting there going, that's going to come back and haunt them. Actually, it did come back to haunt them in the Champions League. That was a bit of an issue because although they scored 99 goals over the course of a league season, you can, you can, you can probably account for the fact that you haven't got a striker in the big moments across 38 games. In knockout competitions, sometimes you do need to have someone in that particular five minutes of a match where you have to go and win it. Now, yesterday they, they managed to come up with a solution to that. But over the course of the season, the Champions League, the League Cup and the FA Cup, they didn't. They didn't get to any of the finals. And I'm sure that Pep Guardiola will be disappointed by that. But what he won't be disappointed by is the fact that in the absence of a striker, what they did was is they focused on dead ball situations. They scored a quarter of their goals from dead balls this season in the Premier League. And that's a solution to a problem that he has been able to find. And, you know, we talk about genius and etc. Uh, he's just a very clever football manager, isn't he? He's brilliant. I think also he, he's so pig-headed that when people were writing them off, and I was certainly one of those saying, well, they can't win the league without a centre-forward, he almost made that his personal mission, I think, to prove people wrong. It's and your fault, is done. that what you're saying? He has done, yeah. I, I'll hold my hands up. Listen, if it's my fault Liverpool didn't win the league... It's a cross I'm willing to bear. <laughs> At least someone's happy about it. Um, it was ne it was never going to happen anyway because not since 1989 as a team uh, who was second in the table on the final day come from behind and pipped the leaders to the top flight title. Um, that On that day, it was Arsenal who beat Liverpool to it with uh, it's up for grabs now and Michael Thomas. Um, and there was a point during the afternoon when I thought it might happen. But actually, Liverpool didn't really get going, did they, in that game against Wolves? I think maybe they were not paralysed by nerves, but there was a little bit of tension around uh, Anfield. And I suppose that was exposed by the concession of a, a goal inside two minutes. 
I, I think, Sam, that what if we've learned anything from the final day, it's that never again, no matter how good any team is, no matter what their experience, never again can we take for granted that even a home game is a routine win. Because, uh, you know, we all season long, we've been talking about just how exceptional both Liverpool and City are and have been. And yet they've been paralysed in the last couple of games by nerves. Liverpool in the uh, game against Aston Villa, where they were abysmal in the first half. And obviously in this game where they allowed Wolves to score the first goal. And City in the game at West Ham, where West Ham really should have put them away. And they were unlucky to concede that own goal for Vladimir Sufal. And Villa coming within a, a few Fernandinho nightmares of getting a third goal that would have put the game beyond doubt. So I think we have learned in the future that no matter how straightforward it would appear, there is always going to be drama on the final day. I also think that had Liverpool scored earlier when Villa were 2-0 up, it would have maybe put a different kind of pressure. I feel a lot of sympathy, kind of not sympathy, for the City fans who left when Villa went 2-0 up. I find it remarkable. Why? On the final day... What exactly? And they hadn't even learned from Aguero a decade ago. They chose to leave the stadium when their team was 2 0 down. I will never understand why football fans do it, particularly in higher pressure uh, the end of season games where we've already learned that anything can happen. Honestly, they deserve everything they didn't get yesterday. I don't understand why you would do that. But then again, there's a few things that I don't understand, actually. And one of those is coming on the pitch at the end of the game and assaulting an opposition goalkeeper. And that also happened at Manchester City. And it's not City bashing, but it's actually a, a, a wider context to this in the fact that we've had several incidents over the course of even the last week, go back further the last month, where we've had people coming onto the pitch in celebration uh, and um, assaulting players. And I think it's become a very tricky situation for the authorities to handle, but they must handle it. They must get a grip of it because it is in danger of blighting the sport. It is a disgrace to come onto the pitch and assault a player. Years ago, you would go onto the pitch. I didn't. I can't remember doing it very often. I think I've had probably once or twice it's happened to me where you, you, you go on the pitch and you celebrate and you have fun because something big has happened. You've won a title, you've been promoted, you've saved yourself from relegation. Good-natured, fun, mm-hmm. excitement is absolutely okay and I totally get it and, and that outpouring of emotion is understandable. There was a time when actually referees were quite cute to the idea of it happening and what they would do is they would not blow the full-time whistle until the ball had gone out for a throw-in on the halfway line near the tunnel so that all the players were very close to that area and can quickly get down. That seems to have been ignored now and and that management of the game hasn't really been taken uh, seriously enough, I don't think. And that's not having a go at the referees. It's just something that maybe they hadn't had to consider for a long time and now they do again. Um, But the idea that a footballer goes to work finishes a game and then has to be in fear of their safety is absolutely disgusting. Do not moan if you went on the pitch when the nets go up. Do not moan when the cat's cradles are ordered. Do not moan when the band comes in and your team have to play behind closed doors because football is in danger of going back to the 80s. Now, there's societal issues that are... are, are 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 probably consistent with those that happened in the 80s as well. And that's one of the big issues. I mean, if you look at the way the country's being run now and then, you can probably see the parallels. But ultimately, ultimately, you've got to have some personal responsibility. If you go onto a football pitch and you strike, goad, get in the face of, try to record the misery of an opposition player or anybody, a manager, then you should be banned from your football club for the rest of time. It's as simple as that. Because you're bringing down the rest of the good-natured support that is around you. And it is our responsibility. Because mm-hmm. we are only we are only as good as our most stupid friend. And we've got to get hold of that friend and make sure that they are policed by us. Because nobody else is going to do it. 
I think you've made some brilliant points there and, and I'll just add to them briefly. I think there's a collective responsibility, as you say, uh, as football fans to, to try and encourage your fellow supporters to behave in the appropriate manner. But I think there's a responsibility in the media as well because we can't on one hand uh, lord and praise, you know, scenes of jubilation on television and on radio as fans flood onto the pitch and then on another hand, uh, chastise people who go onto the pitch and misbehave. I think it just needs to be zero tolerance now, no pitch invasions. And actually, credit to the Leeds United fans, we're going to talk about them. They didn't flood the pitch at Brentford, having seen their team stay in the Premier League. They stayed in their seats. They behaved in the proper manner. I agree with you. Lifetime bans, the only way to solve this. And credit to Manchester City, because in the midst of their title celebrations, they released a very strongly worded statement, almost immediately uh, promising retribution on the supporter or supporters who struck Robin Olsen, and that was absolutely the right thing to do. But it has to be zero tolerance. Now, if, if you come onto the field of play, it's an arrestable offence, and your ticket will be taken away for the rest of your life. I, I, I totally agree. I, I think that with your point about, well, all of your points, but particularly the ones about it's got to be two ways. If fans come onto the pitch, even if there are no problems, that has to be condemned. We now have to make the pitch a safe space for players, for managers, but also for physios, for coaching staff, for stewards yeah. for, who don't get paid that much totally to try agree. and keep order at football grounds. Everybody who goes to work on match day deserves the right to feel safe. And the facts are that even though we're talking about a tiny minority who might strike, goad, abuse players, they are still, you don't know where that danger is going to come from. So everyone has starts to feel apprehensive, unsure about their safety at work. That should not be the case. And for me, I think that, you know, my concern is that somebody is going to get stabbed. Yeah, somebody Darren, is going to get seriously it. hurt. And we will say, why didn't football act sooner? We, We've we, got specific example in te- examples in televised matches that should be enough for the people who run football to rush out a set of measures to say, you do it again, that's it. Your, your club's going to get punished. Not individuals get punished. That's not solving the problem. That's causing some of the, that's solving some of the symptoms of the problem. Yeah. You've got to go to the root cause and that, saying, if you do it again, you hurt your club. And if you hurt your club, then your club is going to have to deal with, find a way to stop you hurting them because otherwise individuals will get hurt. They will take action. The whole thing could end up as a real unseemly mess, even more than it is now. Maybe pitch invasion equals points deduction. And once that happens, people will stop coming on the pitch. Um, We had it. We had a a prime example of it in a a game at Arsenal. I won't reveal who the commentator was, but where we sit um, at Arsenal is very close to the supporters and there's a gangway. And sometimes we are sandwiched up against that gamway. One of our commentators was doing a live match there and supporters getting irate, goaded him. And then I wouldn't say attacked because that's probably a bit too strong, but came over the barriers and started taking his headphones off whilst he was trying to commentate, taking the mic off uh, of him whilst he was trying to commentate on a, on a football match. You know, he's trying to do his job. He's trying to convey a game for a national audience and you've got supporters that just think they can just reach over and grab his headphones and pull them off his head. Obviously, he didn't see it coming either because it, the guy was coming from the side. So it was a surprise to him. Someone touches your head and you don't know where it's come from. You are going to react. Now, he didn't actually, but I would have done. So, yeah. you know, in that situation, I, you know, I, I probably would have been Patrick Vieira. So I, I think it's very, there's a culture that has started to come into English football once again that we just need to get a handle on. And if we don't get a handle on it, we're going to find ourselves in a situation where we end up killing the sport. And that sounds like an extreme reaction, but ultimately that is what happened in the 1980s. But, but the problem is, Sam, like you're saying the, the same kind of thing Alex and I have been saying, lots of people listening to this have been saying, pundits, ex-pros, whatever. Where is the action? Who is t- going to take this action? Who is doing something about it? No one. We can only call for it for so long. And this is football's big problem. Inertia. in, in uh, Sitting on their hands when they can do something. And like I say, the, the, the worry is that somebody's going to... There's still a couple of games still to go on. You know, that somebody's going to get seriously hurt at, or, or, or even worse. 
And then the big cry will go out, why did football not do anything? It had enough examples. It had enough situations in televised matches. It could have done something. It didn't. They've got to act now. Don't wait for next season. Act now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. It would appear that that is that. Mike Jackson brought in to replace Sean Dyche. Couldn't provide the points required to stay in the division. And Burnley will drop back to life in the championship. Leeds will stay up in the Premier League. And for Burnley Football Club, it's the end of the road after a good long spell as a Premier League club. Well, it was pretty clear from the start of the day that Burnley would be relegated from the Premier League if they lost and Leeds United avoided defeat. Not only did they lose, but Leeds United won in dramatic circumstances down at the Brentford Community Stadium. I was there. I was amongst it. I saw Rafinha celebrate by going on his knees from one end of the pitch to the other end of the pitch at the end with his body uh, on show for all to see. He actually came up to me afterwards and gave me a big hug. He was absolutely delighted. He was hugging everybody in the tunnel after the game. Um, I spoke to Liam Cooper afterwards. We're going to play a little bit of that interview in the next few minutes as well because he was outstanding he was brilliant in that game but also he was brilliant with his teammates and he spoke brilliantly afterwards uh, about what it meant for Leeds United to survive it was a dramatic day for them actually because they scored had the goal disallowed then they heard that Burnley had conceded very early in their match against Newcastle United they then got themselves in front from a penalty of their own, then conceded. Of course, they did. They lead United. They conceded 79 goals all season. And they got a terrible defence. Uh, but then in the last minute, Jack Harrison strikes a ball from the edge of the penalty area. It took a little deflection. It went beyond the goalkeeper. Bedlam. Cue Bedlam. And the scenes, because there was only 1,700 Leeds fans in the Brentford Community Stadium, were absolutely sensational. It was a brilliant, brilliant day of twists and turns at the bottom of the table as well, Alex. Yeah, and I think it was fitting uh, that, that Harrison, who actually is one of the few Leeds players I think you can come out with a lot of credit this season, was was their match winner. And it was pleasing from their perspective. They got the job, job done themselves. OK, they needed Burnley to lose, but they went and won the game at Brentford. So they delivered on their part of the bargain. In the end, Burnley have gone down uh, with a bit of a whimper. I, I guess for the, the Premier League brand, uh, maybe it's better that, that Leeds have stayed up and Burnley have now dropped into the Championship. I think, it, I, I think it was maybe a farewell gift did just from use, Rafinha. Did he just use the, the, the brand word? I did, I did, oh. sorry. I did. Well, I'm going all American. Go like, and have like a the, shower. Like the Leeds United manager. Um, but I think it was probably a farewell gift from Rafinha. I think he will leave this summer. Interesting to see what decision Calvin Phillips makes now that his hometown club have uh, stayed up in the division. But it, it was dramatic, but it probably justifies the decision to sack Marcelo Bielsa. And actually, those supporters... Uh, who Simon Jordan called out a week ago for singing Sack the Board. Maybe they owe the Leeds owners an apology because after all, this was a set of owners who took them into the Premier League after a long hiatus and they've kept them there 
because they decided to make a really difficult decision and get rid of a fan's favourite in Bielsa. I think if Bielsa had have stayed, Leeds were going down. I was with the owners after the game and uh, it was fascinating to watch, actually, that Matthew Benham, who's the owner of um, Brentford, came down through the tunnel and uh, Andrea Radrizani was in the tunnel in a purple Leeds top, crying his eyes out. He was so, so emotional. He was so happy. And he came over to us and we said, congratulations. And we, he was like, I just, I just can't. He was lost for word. He, he, honestly, he was so emotional, so pleasant to everybody, so absolutely um, absorbed by what had happened on that day. He was, he was in pieces. And I felt for him because... I suppose as an owner of a football club, this is a it's a big moment. This is a this is a this is a, a sliding doors moment for Leeds United because they they're probably better than where they are in the table. Ultimately, they they play much better football than than they probably have posted in terms of points. But they found themselves in a really tricky situation. And I want to say something about Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh is an experienced football coach. He isn't just someone they've plucked from obscurity and plumped into um, the head coach's position. He said some things that actually were pretty silly, and I think he probably understands that now. I spoke to him last night, and he said, the problem I've got is, is I'm trying to deal with a perception, which is ridiculous, that because I've got an American accent, I, I, I can't coach a football team. But I know what I'm doing. I want to work quietly with these football players. That's very difficult to do in the Premier League, but that's what we've done. And the reason that we've stayed up is because of the work that we've done. And I just think that that needs recognising because there is a lot of bluster around Jesse Marsh. Some of it that he engenders because of the social media videos, the long, elongated speeches that he gives and the, the, the way he talks to the cameras, but not... I don't think we should judge him and never should have judged him. No one should have judged him by the way that he sounds just because he's got an American accent. And that, I think people have done that and that was wrong. Um, listen, I, I, I've never judged him on that. And, and I've supporters said have, on, supporters on, have. Well, yeah. And it just t- tells you a lot about the insular nature of English football supporters uh, because it, yeah. I see other people, you know, using all sorts of methods to try and inspire their players. Other coaches using reference points that are slightly unusual, you know, and they get called characters and quirky. And, you know, we, let's not kid that, ourselves. That's okay. We, we can talk about in this country, We can talk about that. In, in, it's true. Let's, listen, we can't confront it. The first big test is actually admitting it. And there is an English football snobbery amount around American coaches that we look down our noses at them. We don't think they're good enough. They understand the game as well as we do. And I think there are a lot of English football fans, even now, you know, when your Bob Bradley's come over and, you know, they send him up using terms like kickball and all of that kind of nonsense. Whereas Jesse Marsh is a, is a, is a great leader of men. And he is articulate and he has clear ideas about the way he wants to play. And he fosters a winning spirit. Now, yes, they took two points from their final 15 ahead of the Brentford game. And lots of people thought, oh, he's a bluffer or, you know, he's run out of road. But to be able to inspire the level of performance he did at a very organised team. Listen, I didn't think they could do it. Brentford will look to be everything that Leeds were not. No one and did. Given that Leeds had allowed one or two players' emotions to get the better of them, Dan James and Luke Ayling, both of whom should know better, but had been sent off in two of the three games before the match, I thought they were done for. But this guy has been able to inspire and if he gets the job done, then his tactics work. So I don't think he says silly things at all. I, I think he does what he needs to do to get a, a performance out of his players. And the way they responded at Brentford suggests that what he's doing is working. Okay, maybe the, the, the way I phrased that was wrong. I think, bearing in mind the climate that he's in and knowing, as he does, does know because he spoke to me about it, that he is judged in a certain way. I don't think it was the right thing to do to start bringing in those things at that particular time because it was only going to shine a light on him rather than the team. So uh, I spoke to Liam Cooper after the game and this is what he had to say about stress and about Jesse Marsh. We knew we had to come here and win. Um, 
obviously we had to win in the end, but that's what we set out to do. Um, just the stress of the last three months, it all just leaves your body once you know you're safe. Um, as a club, we don't believe we should be in that situation. Um, we, we didn't really get things right this season, but um, we found ourselves in that situation and it was backs against the walls. Uh, Apologise to my missus and my kids, they've been walking on eggshells with me for the last three months. It has been stressful, um, I'm not going to lie to you, but no, I'm delighted to secure Premier League football. Um, no, just delighted for the boys. Um, we needed a performance today and the boys stepped up. Um, I thought it was the better team and um, we got our goals when it mattered. There's been a lot of outside pressure on the players, on the manager, on the new manager as well. This is Leeds, isn't it? <laughs> how, has that, how, how has that been managing that inside the dressing room? What impact has he made, Jesse Marsh? Oh, we, we was right off today, we know we was. We're not stupid, we see social media yourselves and all the other media outlets, we see it all. Um, and we was right off what was it a 16% chance or something like that yeah. and uh, this club honestly backs against the wall we'll come out, we'll come out swinging and uh, the boys did that today Jesse's been unbelievable um, he picked us up um, at a time when we, we were struggling um, but also that's not forgetting what Marcelo did for the club um, he's been unbelievable for, for us he got us back into the Premier League and Obviously, all things good, all good things do come to an end, and um, it was difficult to see him go. Uh, Jesse's come in and, and done unbelievable, and, and, and really picked the lads up uh, when we've needed it. Um, a completely different approach, but the lads bought in from day one, and. Um, yeah, just delighted to say that we'll, we'll be playing with the big boys again next year. Of course, for all the joy that uh, Leeds United and their supporters are feeling, Burnley are not feeling so great this morning. Their supporters having to get used to life back in the Championship after six successive seasons in the Premier League. Um, where did it all go wrong? Well, they did sack their manager. They had a brief revival under Mike Jackson, who's a very personable guy. I don't necessarily think that he is going to be uh, the manager in the championship, although maybe that is going to be the case now because they were eyeing up Vincent Company and others if they thought they were going to stay in the Premier League and now they've dropped. That might be different uh, for Burnley. The biggest issue they've got is money because, mm. as we've mentioned several times on this podcast, I was very concerned about the ownership model with Alan Pace and ALK Capital coming in and using Burnley's money to buy Burnley. Now there is the suggestion that they're going to have to pay two-thirds of the £65 million loan that they um, got to help buy the club back. Plus, they don't get as much TV money next year. There's parachute payments, yes, but not as much TV money next year for Burnley. So it's going to be very, very tricky, especially, Crook, with nine players set to leave the club. And not too many sellable assets either. Um, I think Nick Pope uh, will probably get another club in the Premier League next season, but he's only got a year left on his contract, so he isn't going to go for mega bucks. Maybe somebody might take a chance on Dwight McNeil, but the, the list probably ends there. They're going to lose Tarkovsky and me on free transfers. It's a ridiculous situation. They've allowed themselves a football club uh, to get into the position where arguably their two most important players are both available on free transfers. They should have cashed in on them much earlier. And you, you, you're absolutely spot on. We've been talking about it a lot on this podcast. We were interested in the boot room. I know Simon Jordan has been uh, talking about it a lot on his show as well. When Alan Pace came into Burnley, I think the phrase was, you've never seen an owner like me before. <laughs> I'm not sure what he meant by that. If he meant one that didn't have any money, then uh, then maybe he's correct. But um, it, it's an absolute mess, Burnley, and it's difficult to make a case for them bouncing back into the Premier League at the first time I'm asking. I fear for the future of the club. I don't think this yeah. time next season they're going to be looking up the Championship. They could well be looking down it and staring into League One. It's a horrible situation for the supporters and for the people behind the scenes, but it's a situation that Alan Pace and the owners have somewhat brought on themselves. Yeah, and I mentioned this on Twitter a few times and Burnley uh, fans, some Burnley fans uh, have uh, had a go at me thinking that I'm very anti-Burnley. I'm not. I'm actually very pro-Burnley. I'm pro the community nature of that got football a coat. club. I've got a Burnley coat, for God's sakes. But um, the, the issue is, is that I was always worried about the ownership model. I'm even more concerned about it now. And I do hope, I do hope that they don't end up dropping even further than the championship because that would be 
a, a real worry. Uh, there's a few saleable assets in there. You mentioned McNeil and Pope. Connor Roberts, who's done very well at right back for them. He might well be another one who ends up getting a move because he's a Welsh international footballer. He could end up going. But there's not much more uh, for them to, to play with. And they've got to sell everyone they can because they need need the dosh. That is uh, for sure. Vout Veghorst didn't really work out for them. Did that whole Chris Wood, Vout Veghorst swap thing didn't really work out for them. Chris Wood has scored only two goals in 16, 17 Premier League appearances for Newcastle since joining from Burnley. And uh, Vout Veghorst, who was Wood's replacement, scored just two goals in 20 Premier League matches. I mean, it's one of those that didn't actually end up as successful a move as maybe Sean Dyche hoped at the time, Darren. Yeah, although I do think Veghorst could be better in a better side. I don't think he had enough ammunition. Um, his track record suggests that he does know where the goal is if you give him that supply. So I wouldn't necessarily judge him uh, on the basis of what he's done for Burnley. And ultimately, they've gone down because they couldn't stop conceding goals. Uh, so it's really been at the back that they've had more of a problem or, or as much of a problem. I think I agree with Crook that some of the business decisions that have been made in relation to transfers have been horrendous. I remember, I tell you many times about the story of West Ham offering over £30 million for Tarkovsky a couple of years ago, yeah. and they turned it down, and Tarkovsky basically wouldn't sign a new contract. Now, when he didn't want to sign a new contract last summer, they should have sold him. The stats suggest that players who turn down new deals um, going into the final year, very, very seldom sign a new one. And Tarkovsky's and yet, got previous, haven't they? Because when he moved north from Brentford, it was a similar sort of thing, wasn't it? Well, indeed. And, you know, as soon as... And that's not a criticism, they, by the way. No, no, listen, he, he is well within his rights to not sign new deals. What I'm saying is that Burnley were not decisive enough. And to let one player, important player, go in a freeze, one thing, to let two is 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 negligent. So I think as far nine? as... Well, <laughs> nine is just off the scale, isn't it? And I think Crook is right. They should now be worried about falling further rather than aspiring to go back up because I can't see it. Um, the other big problem they've got is that they're going to lose Maxwell Corne for 15 million quid or just over because there's a yeah. release clause in his contract and he is going to leave. I mean, I think it's pretty apparent that he's not at all settled when you look at the fact that he's... Sam, where do you think he'll go? Well, he, I think he could go and play in the top half Premier League team because I think he's very, very good. He scored six goals in 10 Premier League games when he first arrived. And then he went to the Africa Cup of Nations. Burnley tanked. And as a result of that, he scored three goals in his last 16 Premier League games. So it, it, I think, you know, there was rumour going around that he asked to go back to his uh, parent club. And he said, they said, you're not on loan. You are a permanent transfer. Um, Read the small print. And, some, and someone said to me, oh, yeah, yeah, that's just a rumour. It's just a, a bit of a joke. But actually, if you've been around football, you know it's probably true. Um, but there is a clause. And that clause is going to kick in once relegated. So someone's going to get a bit of a bargain, aren't they? I, yeah. I, if I was Spurs looking for a left-sider, I think you could do a lot worse than a Maxwell Cornet. Good shout. You know, obviously, they were looking looking to strengthen in that area. In January, it's an area I'm sure that uh, Antonio Conte will look to improve again in the summer. I agree. I think he's capable of going to play right at the top level in in the Premier League. Again, he's been one of Burnley's rare shining lights this season. It's not his fault uh, that they've been relegated. I, I would expect him to still be a Premier League player this time next year. Oh, West Ham, West Ham, West Ham. So close to getting into the Europa League after such a brilliant season when they thought that they might even threaten the top four. They miss out on the top six, despite the fact that Manchester United basically played a scratch team in their game against Crystal Palace, lost the way at Selhurst Park in front of Eric Ten Hag, but West Ham couldn't beat Brighton away from home. Congratulations to Brighton, who finished in the top half of the table. There was a tip at the beginning of the season by someone who said that they would. Can't remember who it was. Um, and West Ham United, um, West Ham United don't get into the top six. I felt a little bit sorry for them, really, because um, it was in their hands, wasn't it? And they just couldn't produce performance down at the Amex Stadium. I don't understand this statistic, right? That's now 10 games against Brighton in the Premier League, and they've never beaten them. Why? Why, why does that happen? Why are there always quirks in statistics like that? I don't get it. But anyway, disappointment for uh, West Ham. How much do you think it's going to affect them? You're... You do West Ham quite a lot, Darren. What, what, what do you think David Moyes will say to that? We spent a bit of time um, with him, didn't we, over the course of the uh, season? Listen, I think the reason they finished outside the, the 
top four, first of all, is because they, their squad wasn't deep enough. Uh, ultimately, they took a gamble. It worked in so much as they got to the semi-finals of the Europa League, but then no sending that sending off, the second sending off for Aaron Crestwell cost him deeply. He'll have nightmares about that one because he's been such a good servant for the club, but to be sent off and ultimately costing his side will, will hurt him and, and it's hurt the club. I think the squad wasn't deep enough. They needed at least one more striker. They needed reinforcements in midfield. The players played over 50 games this season and they were just battered in the red. They were running on fumes by the end and it cost them. It's very simple. If they're not to go through the same thing again, because I think they'll be competitive again next season, they will have to bring in reinforcements. You're talking about Corne. West Ham could do with a Maxwell Corne. They could do with an Emmanuel Dennis from Watford. I know they like him very much. You know, straight away, you've got two players who can give them depth in the attacking areas. What That's what they'll need if they'll be back. Yep. Um, and uh, obviously, David Moyes, if you mentioned to him that they were a little bit light and should have gone and bought someone in January, he doesn't react very kindly to that. Um, so uh, just be careful what you say to him, Darren, when you see him next. Um, what about uh, Manchester United then? Because the new manager was on show at Selhurst Park. You said on Monday that you thought he would be crook, and there he was. The size of the task facing him, though, was let, laid out rather bare in front of him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an awful Manchester United team, an awful Manchester United performance presided over by an awful Manchester United manager in Ralph Ranyard. We can say it now, I've been saying it for a while. That appointment has been an absolute disaster. And nothing sums up United's season like the fact they were one of only two teams on the final day, along with a wretched Norwich side, not to score a single goal. And they still somehow, despite finishing with a goal difference of zero for the first time (laughs) since 1990, managed to limp into the Europa League. And I do think it's significant because I wasn't one of these Manchester United fans who didn't want Europa League football for the simple fact that there's a Champions League place for the winners. I was in Seville last week. I saw Rangers play Frankfurt. Congratulations, Frankfurt. They're in the Champions League. This is Manchester United's best route to a return to Europe's top table next season. And I think it's a competition that Eric Ten Hag, who's taken it seriously in the past, I would imagine, is going to take seriously again. And Manchester United have to have a good tilt at winning this Europa League. Had they have ended up in the Conference League, Unless you were paying me, I would refuse to watch it because that would have been a waste of time. <laughs> Sam, would you would you keep a lot of the players? Are, are there players that you think he should build the team around? No, not one. If, listen, really? if, you, if you could, if you could, and you can't because it's impossible, and he has to keep a a core of players to sort of add ballast to the squad. But if you if you if you're Eric Ten Hag walking into that club, you'd just say, "Lads, it's over. Off you go. Start again." with a completely new squad. That's what I would do. Absolutely, no doubt. Because I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because it's gone on too long. There's a culture that has seeped into the group. And it's very difficult to change that, especially quickly. And Manchester United need to change it quickly because they're so far away from everybody else. So in order to change it quickly, you need not evolution. You need absolute revolution. You need someone to come in. You need them to change the personnel change the mindset, change the group. Now, the only way to do that is by changing the bulk of the squad. There's probably a couple of young players that you could use, but if it was me right now and I had the license and the money to do it, I'd be saying to every single player that represented that club this season, you're all out. I'm bringing in a whole new team. Now, you might earn yourself a way back into that squad, but you've got to show me that you're going to be part of it. Not automatically, well, I'm going to keep him because he's worth 80 million quid and, you know, we've got to use him because we signed him for so much money and we've got to keep him because he's friends with him and that keeps... None of that. You've got to go hard. You've got to make sure that there are new rules. You've got to make sure that... uh, There's a clean slate for some of them. Okay, I understand that. But ultimately, there needs to be a complete change of culture at that football club if they're going to survive. And if they're going to... And I say survive, that's probably the wrong word. But I mean survive as a superpower of football. Because at the moment, they've drifted miles away from that. They're nowhere near that. There's people taking over their legacies now. Manchester City, you know, the blue moon is certainly rising. You know, and the Red Devils are you know, going to hell. I would keep De Gea, Varane, Fernandez, Ronaldo. You're struggling. 
aren't you? You're, you're struggling. Rashford. No. Alanga. No. And Alanga. I wouldn't keep Varane because he can't keep fit. He's never fit, is he? Yeah. But, the, but then that 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 then overhaul your medical department to work on. To, to, to was he fit? Was he players. was he fit enough at Real Madrid? No, that was one of the reasons they were quite happy to, to get rid of him. I think Varane's been a really poor signing. I have to say, you know, yeah. a, a lot's been made of Jack Grealish and, and Lukaku because of the transfer fees. But Varane, you were there, Sam, first day of the season, paraded onto the pitch at Old Trafford. Massive hype on social media, which is what Manchester United have become. He's been a disaster. Okay. Yeah, it's, well, a, it's a club yeah, well, that it's, it's a club that's brilliant off the pitch uh, in terms of the fact that it makes a hell of a lot of money. Its social media is very good, uh, but on the pitch, it's, it's it's a disgrace. I mean, it is an absolute disgrace. I mean, it's the worst that they've ever been in the Premier League era. Goal difference is zero, fifty-eight points. They've won fewer games than ever before. It's a disaster. It's Manchester United. It's absolutely Sam, can disgraceful. I just- Tell you very quickly, Ericsson Hard's been talking while we've been recording this podcast um, uh, on on Monday morning. Uh, some of the fans, by the time you hear this, will know what he's been said. But we can just maybe talk about one or two things he said. He says we want to make the fans proud. I want to build and construct a team who are battling for each other. The intention is to play fantastic football. If we can't, we still have to win. He says I'm coming to England to meet people, roll out the strategy, prepare pre-season prepare the staff and prepare a squad. Uh, we will start pre-season on June 27th. Uh, in certain positions, we want to renew the squad, but there is potential. And I'm really looking to co- forward to cooperating with the squad. Uh, but listen, he has to say that. And I think he's actually been quite strong with some of the things he said there. And good luck to him. I hope it works. Look, I live th- less than two miles from the ground. I, I, I go there regularly. And I obviously, because of where I live, uh, it's my patch it's it's the club along with Manchester City that I cover the most so look ultimately I want them to be successful I want them to be better but their standards have got to be much better than they are at the moment and the players have got to take responsibility and he, he, he I hope he can drive that into them because you know the, I, I do you said you would retain Marcus Rashford I wouldn't because I think the guy needs a change I think he needs a change maybe Eric Ten Hag is the change that he needs to inspire him and again cross my fingers I hope that is the case because he's a local lad he's a supporter of Manchester United he's massive in this community I live four steps from the the mural which is at the end of my road uh, for Marcus Rashford but ultimately unless he can regain some of that confidence that he needs to become the best footballer that he can be he needs to move on and find it from somewhere else so look I hope I hope it works out for Eric Ten Hag but he's going to need a lot of money to spend in the summer in order to make them anywhere near uh, competitive we should just touch on a couple of the other uh, games that uh, took place yesterday Tottenham Hotspur beat uh, Norwich by five goals to nil probably a little bit disappointed that it wasn't ten um, Son scored twice to get a share of the golden boot well done to him him and Mo Salah top scorers in the Premier League Mo Salah hadn't actually scored very often uh, recently in fact he'd scored just uh, in one of the previous 14 uh, Liverpool appearances before yesterday but he came and scored a vital goal in their game against Wolves but Tottenham's Kingman Son scored twice in a 5-0 victory at Norwich so well done to, to, to Son could you tell me the other two Tottenham players who have won the golden boot Harry Kane is obviously Kane. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he won it in 2016, 17, and 21. He's, yeah, he's won three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is this in the one? Premier League Gareth era? Bale? In the Premier League era, Gareth Bale. Nope. Berbatov. Nope. Crikey! Well, there's some good um, goal scorers. To be fair, not Klinsman. Nope. Teddy. Lord Teddy of Sheringham. Sheringham, yes. yes. Well done. You got there in the end, Crook. One of your Manchester United players, if I remember rightly. Uh, yeah, so well done to him. Um, uh, okay, uh, Chelsea beat Watford 2-1. Ross Barkley scored. Kai Havertz scored. Dan Gosling got one back. Uh, but uh, it was a largely disappointing uh, uh, season for Chelsea. But it was the last games for Rudiger, Hodgson and Mike Dean. Who will we miss most? <laughs> I think Rudiger. I think Chelsea fans will certainly miss Rudiger. He got a hero send off. But do you know what? It's an unpopular opinion. I think Mike Dean was a better referee than people give him credit. I agree. For. I agree. I think yeah. we'll miss Mike Dean because we yeah. love personalities, right? 
We love yeah. people with, uh, with with character. He was a yeah. character of the Premier League. We are going to miss him. There's no doubt about that. Martin Atkinson and John Moss also retired this weekend as well. We won't miss John Moss. Yes, we will. Two good guys. John is a great guy. Um, good guy, terrible referee. He is a great guy and he worked very, very hard. So look, I'm not, everyone has a go at referees. All referees are terrible. That's what everyone says. So they have a hard job, but he's a brilliant, brilliant bloke, John Moss. And so is Martin Atkinson as well. He'll be delighted, double delighted that he started and finished his career at Selhurst Park in the Premier League over 400 Premier League games. He's been on the UEFA list longer than anybody else and they extended his tenure because he's such a good referee and well done to him. Uh, and he'll be able to now play golf this summer very, very calmly knowing that Leeds United has stayed in the Premier League as well. So he'll be a happy boy. Uh, and John Moss is, is going to be able to spend extra time in his uh, record shop, the Vinyl Whistle in Sheffield. Uh, it's a great name. Uh, uh, is it in Sheffield or Leeds? No, it's in Leeds. Uh, it's been Headingley, actually, near the cricket ground. Uh, so uh, if you do actually go past it, please go in and buy a record from, from John Moss. Um, what else is there to talk about? Oh, Arsenal. They did well, 5-1. Uh, what was the biggest surprise? They gave it their best shot. They did give it their best shot, didn't they? They needed a miracle, but the only miracle we saw on Sunday afternoon at the Emirates was Donny van der Beek scoring. <laughs> do, do you know what I, Darren Benton and I got into quite a heated discussion about this on the boot room on Sunday I'm not buying into the narrative that Arsenal have overachieved this season it was all there for them no European football oh, biggest God. spenders in Europe last oh, summer do you want to start do you want to start Arsenal lost Arsenal lost six of their last 12 Premier League matches at the beginning of that run on the morning of the 16th of March the Gunners were fourth in the table on 51 points from 26 games and Spurs were eighth on 45 yeah. points from one more game, 27. And, and this backs up the point I was making, which was basically that Arsenal's bottle went. When you look at the teams they lost to, Palace, Brighton, Southampton, how many teams have lost to Southampton um, since February? And that game against Newcastle on Monday night was an absolute horror show from Arsenal. You'd have thought they were the team on the beach with nothing to play for. If they'd have won one of those four matches that I've mentioned, they would be in the Champions League. I don't think this opportunity comes for Arsenal again anytime soon. Darren's already said Tottenham will be stronger next season. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea, I think, will be stronger. Manchester United, you don't know, but let's hope, from my perspective, Eric Ten Hag can make them stronger. Arsenal could well find themselves seventh next season. It's a big opportunity spurned, and it will affect their entire summer because they won't have that pulling power that comes with being a Champions League club. Um, what other games have we got to that we haven't mentioned yet? Let me have a look, quick look at my little sheet of paper here that's been uh, travelling around the country with me over the course of the last 24 hours. Ah, yes, I was waiting for this one. Uh, Leicester City 4, Southampton 1. It wasn't too long ago uh, that King Ralph was being touted as the next possible Manchester United manager. Shall um, I go make a cup of tea while you deal with this one? <laughs> I hear pressure is increasing on Sir Ralph after that heavy defeat. What, have you, what, what uh, can you tell us? Well, I've been making a few inquiries this morning. My information is that he is safe for now um, and will start the season as Southampton manager. They lost nine of their last 12 games. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's dismal. There's, there's no two ways about it. Uh, they've ended up finishing nearest the relegation places uh, than to the top half, which Ralph Hasenhutl publicly said was his ambition. Um, and I think they need it. They need a summer overhaul. There will be uh, senior players leaving. Fraser Forster to Tottenham. That was a story that I broke in the, in the transfer notebook last week. I think that will happen. There'll be players coming in. You've got the first transfer window under the new ownership model. If Southampton start next season badly... I think that pressure you talk about really will intensify. For the moment, I believe that Ralph Hasenhutl is safe. Mm, yes. Um, I think I got a bit of a stick, actually, earlier in the season when I said that I didn't think the Southampton squad was strong enough and they told me that they, they, they told me quite vociferously on Twitter that it was the strongest squad they've had in a while. 40 points. Mm. That's the lowest finish in the Premier League in three years for Southampton. Not good enough, I'm afraid, especially seeing as they uh, were beaten in seven of their Open 26 league games this campaign, winning eight of them. So they gave themselves a very, very good start. Here's a little quirky stat for you. Tell me what's wrong with James Ward-Prowse and St Mary's. Why does he not like it? He scored 10 goals this season. Nine of them have come away from home. What's he doing? It's interesting. Um, and actually, if you take away those nine goals or ten goals that you've mentioned, Southampton would be, relegated. In, <laughs> would be in big trouble. Um, I mean, he's such a key player. I'm not sure where that uh, lack of home goals comes from. 
Um, so we'll, we'll leave that to the scientists unless Darren's got a theory. No, I don't. I don't. I, I think that's one of the things that Southampton full stop are going to work on next season, turning their own ground into more of a fortress because at the moment there have been too many teams that have gone there and walked away with the points and um, they've not been able to produce the same level of performance that they can do away from home. Yeah, uh, listen, I um, loved having you on the podcast over the course of the season. We ain't going anywhere. We're going to be here all summer doing the uh, the game day podcast from TalkSport because there's so much still to come. This weekend, we've got a big preview coming from the Champions League and from the Championship Playoff Final, which is Sunday but afternoon. I don't understand, Sam. You're, what, you're going to spend 90 minutes talking about how Liverpool are going to win it? Yeah, well, we're going to make a case for it. Yeah, That might come back to bite you because he's being I don't well think Liverpool cocky, are playing very well. He's being well cocky, isn't he? He's being well cocky about it. I'm going to dig out a Real Madrid shirt for this pod, I think. <laughs> no, we can't do that. You can't. I, I actually want Liverpool to win the Champions League because ultimately, you know, it's an English club in Europe and you've got to support the English clubs in Europe, haven't you? There oh, you go. They, come, no. No, you know, no, no, you haven't. You're not having that. No. No. No, but I'll be supporting you when you're in the chip. Oh. No, 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 no. They're not going to be in the Champions League final for a long time, Darren. Listen, this is, no, this is no, match no, week no, 38. No. Let's not start being nasty now. We've had a good season. Uh, Darren uh, bought us... Oh, no, he hasn't bought us that dinner yet. We, we'll get that at some point uh, over the course of the summer. Yeah, we always but say we do it at the end will, of the series, but now the series is rolling through the summer. He's like, oh, no, no, we do it at the end of the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, no, we do it when we get a break in the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. No we worries. will, for sure. Um, so we've got um, we've got loads of podcasts to come, including Thursday when we preview those two matches. After that, we'll look back on who's in the championship and what happened in the Champions League final, who's in the Premier League from the championship and who and what happened in the Champions League final. And then uh, we'll start the transfer podcast and what's happening with uh, some of the international games because England have got four Nations League games upcoming, which is going to be amazing at the beginning of June. And then we're into the UEFA Women's uh, European Championships, which is in England and it's at a ground near you. If you haven't got a ticket yet, please get one because if the Women's FA Cup final is anything to go by, it's going to be a cracking tournament. Thank you, Crookie. Thank you, uh, Darren. We're back on Thursday afternoon. Make sure you join us. This is the Game Day Podcast from Talks. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.